All right. So, actually, before we get started here, let me pray real quick because it has been a heavy week. Some of you know why it's been a heavy week, but it's been a heavy week. And, uh, and honestly, it's, this message is not going to be any different. So, let's pray real quick and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I thank you so much for the opportunity that, uh, man, I have to, to communicate your word. Uh, Lord, I ask, that, I ask for open ears. I ask for soft hearts. And Lord, I just ask that as we unpack uh, this parable, Lord, that you would, uh, man, that you'd speak to us, that you would show us uh, the truth that is embedded within it, and Lord, that you'd bless these words, and Lord, if there's some, something that, that I need to say or, or, or haven't said, Lord, that I ask that you would, uh, you would use me as an instrument today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Ronnie asked me to share a little bit about what was going on this summer, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not really going to do that. Uh, it's not because I don't want to, it's just because I don't have time to. Some of you know that when I preach, I tend to go long, and uh, there's 12 pages here that show you that I'm probably going to go long today. So if you want to have a conversation with me about how my summer went, it went well, uh, it was busy, uh, kids learned about Jesus, and we had a lot of fun. So, but if you want to have a deeper conversation, definitely ask. Uh, Ronnie is spending time with his wonderful family this weekend. And although I love to give him a hard time about it, I do enjoy preaching. Uh, today we're going to start a new series called Unexpected. The tagline says the parables of Jesus, but we're kind of focusing in a little bit more specifically on some ones that are a little bit more un misunderstood uh, or obscure. And so Ronnie, Ron, one, of the, one of them that, that I kind of pointed out right away was the shrewd manager. Um, but then this other one, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, is one that I've read quite a bit, but I was less familiar with. And I think that's the truth about a lot of people. I think a lot of people may have heard of this parable, but they might not fully, uh, they, but they not, might not fully uh, understand what it's about. So I wanted to unpack that for you today. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be specifically in verses 24 through 30, or 36, and 36 through, through 43. Uh, they will be up at the front. Uh, I read out of the ESV version. It's a version that I've used for a long time, and I just, uh, I prefer uh, I've got nothing wrong with the NIV, but I just like the ESV. So, But one of the first questions people ask about parables, unless you're familiar with them, is, man, why would Jesus use a story, right? Uh, parables can be a little bit confusing, right? Don't, don't you want, Jesus, don't you want people to get the point, right? Like, sometimes the stories, there's, there's room for nuance, there's room for interpretation. Why in the world would you use a story to convey a truth, and for the sake of not preaching an, an entire another message, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read an excerpt that I found that, that I thought was a really great explanation for why uh, Jesus speaks in parables. From Matthew 13 and on in Jesus' ministry, when he spoke in parables, he explained them only to the disciples. But those who had continually rejected his message were left in their spiritual blindness to wonder as to his meaning. He made a clear distinction between those who had been given ears to hear and those who had persisted in unbelief ever hearing, but never actually perceiving, always learning, but never actually acknowledging the truth. The disciples had been given the gift of spiritual discernment by, by which things of the Spirit were made clear to them. Because they accepted truth from Jesus, they were given more and more truth. The same is true today for believers who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. He has opened our eyes to the light of truth and ears to the sweet words of eternal life. Jesus understood that, that truth is not sweet music to all ears. Simply put, there are those who have neither interest nor regard for the deep things of God. So then why did he speak in parables? To those with a genuine hunger for God, the parables are both an effective and memorable vehicle 
uh, for the conveyance of divine truths. Jesus' parables contained great volumes of truth in very few words, and his parables, rich in imagery, were not easily forgotten. So then the parable was a blessing to those with willing ears, but those who had dull hearts and ears that are slow to hear, the parable is an instrument of judgment and mercy. The hard truth about parables is, not, is that not everyone is going to understand them, and that is kind of the point. The same thing can be said about this sermon and every single one that is, that is given in the pulpits each and every week. Not everyone who, who is going to hear the words that I'm going to speak today is going to have ears that are ready to hear it and hearts that are ready to, to perceive it. The parable that we're about to read is, not, is, is one that I, I just previously said was not well known, but it's also in the same chapter. Most people have heard of it, but what they think of more often than not is the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower comes right before it where there's, there are four different types of soils, one of which is good, the other three of which uh, are not good. But they have, they're two different parables, same purpose, but different meanings. The nice thing is that there's a written explanation for this parable because he explains it to his disciples. They literally ask him, what are you talking about? So if you have your Bibles, let's pick it up in verse 24. And then, like I said, we'll read down to 30 and then we'll skip down to verse 36. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while while his his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and they went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go gather them? But he said, no, lest, lest in, in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until harvest, and at the harvest time I will, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them up into bundles, and they will be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Seems simple enough, am I right? As we unpack this, I think there are some profound truths embedded within it, as well as a certain warning. If you guys notice, I'm wearing my my Junction City polo today. Some of you guys have Junction City stuff on too, but uh, this polo actually kind of means a lot to me. Uh, because many years ago, a fellow youth pastor of mine and I were kind of scheming as to how we could be involved with what's going on at the schools. Uh, he actually sent out an email to the high school and inquired about simply handing out snacks out front. This was at the old high school by the Blue Jay. He was met with a swift no, and there were some more things that kind of went along with that. That same week, another youth pastor friend of mine from another neighboring community posted a picture on social media of, of handing out snacks inside the school. Not to, just, just to let you know, I was a, I was a little bit frustrated. But the scheming didn't really stop. How could I be involved with what was going on in the schools? I I, want to be around students that don't know Jesus, and I want to have an impact. And so um, this led me later to honestly becoming a coach. I was talking with Ty one day, and I was scheming about it, and he said, why don't you just coach? Just so you guys know, I played football, 
but I was definitely not Ty Zimmerman at football, right? <laughs> my, my, my athletic prowess ended, you know, at a certain point. So, so I was a little bit reluctant, but I, I, I'm here standing before you to tell you that I'm entering into my second year uh, coaching football, and man, it's been a lot of fun. I went from having uh, maybe 10 to 15, you know, interactions with, with students a week to hundreds of interactions with students a week, all because of this one decision to, to get into coaching. Not to mention the coaches and other staff that I get to rub shoulders with. For the last couple of weeks, I've spent most of my evenings at the football field. It's no wonder that my mind, when I was preparing for the sermon, jumped straight to acronyms. So for today, for, so for today's good old-fashioned three-point FCC sermon outline, we'll be using an acronym called ACP. Uh, Trish already wrote out the words for you, so you know that it doesn't mean automatic Colt pistol for some of you. It stands for alignment, communication, and pursuit. And so we're going to be going along and we're going to unpack these words and what they mean for the Blue Jay defense, but we're also going to be unpacking what I think they mean when we're talking about this parable. The first one is alignment. When we're talking about alignment uh, with our defense, our players are supposed to have a specific alignment based on the call before the ball is snapped. This is not just because we want to micromanage our players, right? Like, isn't it funny how when you give people rules sometimes, they think that you're just trying to micromanage them? You're like, no, 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 we're trying to help you out. You know, we're trying to put you in the best position to succeed. So we want, to, we want them to be in the best possible position to, to handle their responsibilities. If you are out of position before the ball is snapped, you will be out of position once it's snapped. You either set yourself up for success or failure based on your alignment. This is something we talk about each week. And actually, just the other day, uh, while I was in preparation for the sermon, Ty said something that stuck out to me. He says, if you don't get aligned, you can't win. If you don't get aligned, if you can't win. So what does this have to do with our parable? Verses 37 through 39 says this. He's identifying characters and props of the story, and he says, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. You have four primary things being identified. Obviously, there's others uh, that I want to focus on. But you have four primary things that are being identified uh, that, in order for us to understand what our alignment is. The sower. Who is the sower? The sower is the son of man. The enemy is the devil. Each of these, each of these characters have their own mission, and it can all be wrapped up in one verse. John 10.10. 10. The thief or the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I, the sower, come that you might have life and have life abundantly. You are either wheat, children of the kingdom, or you are weeds, children of the evil one. So my question is, what is your alignment? One of the most interesting things about this parable is that the word for weeds is referring to a plant called darnel, which is a weed related to ryegrass. In its early stages of growth, it resembles the wheat, and its grains are poisonous. Two of the biggest problems facing our church today, not this church, but the church today, in their infancy, look a lot like Christianity, much like these weeds look like uh, wheat. But in the end, they're poison. The first one Ronnie referred to last week, he called it progressive Christianity, and I won't spend too much time there, but at the end of the day, it's poison is that it places the individual above the ultimate, it, it, plays, it places the individual above the truth. The individual becomes the ultimate arbor of truth, not the word of God. Years ago, I was at a summer CIY trip, and there was a particular student who started to get real excited about Jesus. Before the trip, he had never actually been to youth group. 
which is kind of weird. He came because his, his girlfriend brought him. Has anybody been there? Honestly, I'm here today because my girlfriend brought me to youth group, so. But I was pumped, right? I was pumped that he was there. We get back from the trip, and he says, I'm bringing my mom on Sunday, to which I was more excited about. I came that Sunday morning to find out that Ronnie was preaching on Romans 1, and I'll be honest with you, my, my heart sank a little bit. My heart sank. Whoa, are we good? My heart sank because he was bringing his mom, and his mom had been in a same-sex relationship for a number of years. And if you know anything about what's in Romans 1, you know what was coming. God and I had an interesting back and forth that day. That day, my own alignment was checked. We have never been turned, at this church, I've been here for over 10 years, we have never turned a person away from stepping through these doors. We've had same-sex couples, we've had people that have come from extremely broken situations, and we've never said, you're not, not welcome here. But in the same breath, we have never said, we have never, we have never stopped to proclaim God's word even when it becomes uncomfortable. That didn't sound right. We never stopped proclaiming God's word even when it was uncomfortable. And that was an uncomfortable situation. But at the end of the day, his word is the, is the ultimate truth, not us. The second th- major thing plaguing the church today is what I call moral conservatism. This one is harder to spot, more, is, is a lot harder to spot than progressive Christianity. I read a book a number of years ago called Transforming the Church in Rural, Rural America by Sh- Shannon O'Dell. Odell would contend that rural America contains some of the most unreached people groups in the world today. And the reason why is because a lot of people in rural America genuinely think that they're good people. They work hard, right? They make better choices than the people next to them. But the problem with this is the Bible. This is like Matthew 23 where Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside will be clean. Romans 3 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. In, in verse 23 it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God did not save you so that you can just make better decisions. Okay? He didn't save you so that you would vote a certain way. He didn't save you for any of these things. When we do that with the gospel, we cheapen it. It's not just about making good decisions or being a good person. It's about Jesus. He came so that we could have life and life abundantly. Everything else falls short. So how do you align with Jesus? I think if you want to test where your alignment with Jesus is, you need to ask this one question to yourself, and how you answer it will reveal where you're at. How do you know you're going to heaven? Thanks, FCA, uh, uh, FCA like application form. How do you know you're going to heaven? Acts 4.12 says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If your answer is anything other than only through the blood of Jesus, you need to check your alignment. You are a sinner. Do you accept that? Christ was crucified for your sins. Do you accept that? And he was buried and he was raised on the third day, conquering death. Do you accept that? Christianity, by definition, is exclusive. It is exclusive to those who accept Jesus as their sacrifice. It is available to all, but not all will hear. Remember what Ty said, if you are not aligned, you cannot win. The victory that we're gonna talk about at the end, or the warning, will all come down to where you start. If you don't start in the right place, everything else is gonna fall apart. 
Our alignment has to start with Jesus and nothing else. The second word in our acronym is communication. When we coach on, this one's a little bit harder to kind of kind of bleed into here, but when we coach on communication, we talk about making sure that people that should be making the calls on the field are. A lot hinges on the four people that are making and relaying the calls. If the defensive coordinator isn't making the right call, then the team is set up for failure. If the people on the field are not relaying the right coverage call and front call, then the team is set up for failure. If the people receiving the calls are not doing what the calls are supposed to, to do with them, then the whole team is set up for failure. Coach G says that, that, that football is one of the greatest team sports out there, and I think it has a lot to do with this. I know there's some soccer coaches and, and players in here that might differ, but you get the point. The amount of trust that everyone from coaches to players must have in one, one another is paramount. You have to trust that everything is going to work as it should on every play and that the people next to you know what they're doing. In order to apply these, these verses, we're gonna look a little, we're gonna have to dig a little bit and we're gonna focus on Matthew uh, 13, verses 27 through 30. The sower planted the field, the enemy sowed the weeds, and at this point, the, work, the, the workers have discovered the issue. And the servants of the master of the house came to them and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the fields? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to them, then do you want us to go gather them? But he said, no, lest gathering the weeds, you uproot the wheat along with them. Let both grow together. I want you to listen to that. Let both grow together until the harvest. And, the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will send the reapers. Gather the weeds first and bind them and put them into bundles and they will be burned. But gather the wheat and put them into the barn. It's important to understand that almost everyone listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom would have been Jews. The Jews have, would have been dumbfounded by almost everything that Jesus had to say about the kingdom. One person said this, they have a view of the kingdom that is about military might and force. They have a view of the kingdom that is about the coming Messiah, the coming of Christ. Rome would be turned to chaff and it would be blown away and the wind in Jerusalem would become, the, and, and, the, and the wind and Jerusalem would become the epicenter of the world. The nations would come and worship God in Jerusalem and every enemy of God would be destroyed. That was their view of Messiah. And so when Jesus showed up, they didn't know what to do with him. It's easy for us to be critical of this view um, because it, it seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't. This view came out of certain passages in the Old Testament that they latched onto. One of the places it came from was Daniel chapter two. I took some of the paraphrasing from another preacher because I really liked how he communicated this. He said this, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the, of the known world at this point. As far as the eyes could see, he owned it. He has a dream that, that, that gets under his skin and he wakes up and he can't get unafraid. It's kind of a dream that's haunting him all day long. Maybe some of you can, can relate. So Nebuchadnezzar calls together his diviners, his witches, his wizards, and he says, hey, I had this dream. I have no peace in my heart. I have no peace in my mind. I need you to tell me the dream and I need you to interpret it for me. To which the diviner said, well, tell us the dream. And he says, no, 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 no. You're diviners, you tell me the dream and interpret it. And oh, by the way, hope this isn't too much pressure, uh, but I'm gonna kill you if you don't. Nothing like a little bit of on the job pressure to uh, see if they can perform. Good news, they didn't die. But they didn't die, not because they did anything, but because Daniel showed up. When Daniel shows up, Daniel not only tells him the dream, but he interprets the dream for him. And it's that dream and its interpretation that first century Jews would have read, studied, and built their hope on as they sat under the oppression of Rome. 
Daniel 2, starting in verse 31, says this, You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by, by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver, the gold, all together were broken and they shattered and became like chaff in, summer, in, in the summer of threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You see where this is going, right? Now, if we're stopping here, this dream is kind of crazy. You have a massive image, you're feeling small, and then out of nowhere, the stone shows up and just smashes it smashes it all to pieces, and then it's blown away as if nothing was there. Then the rock grows up into a mountain, and the mountain fills the whole earth. But then Daniel interprets it. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand has been given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong in iron, because iron breaks out into pieces and shatters all things. And, that, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and the toes were partially potter's clay and partially iron. It shall be divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially clay, so the kingdom shall be strong and partially brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will, be, they will, they will mix with one another in marriage, but they, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of these kings, the God of heavens will set up the kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces in the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall, never, and it shall forever and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw, that stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and, and that it broke into pieces in iron, bronze, clay, and silver, and gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Do you see where they're getting that when the Messiah comes, it will be violent? You have this prophecy that the empire of iron, which was thought to be Rome, the, the bronze before it was the Greeks, and the idea that when Christ comes, he's going to once and all rid the world of pagans and establish this kingdom of holiness with the sword. Because how else would you crush an empire of iron? Keep in mind, these people are under the oppression of Rome. They have been slaughtered by the hundreds and thousands. They have been crucified. They have been tortured. Their stuff has been plundered, and where is their hope? It is in Christ. When Christ comes, Rome will get theirs. Then Jesus shows up, and there's a whirlwind of excitement. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what does, he start to, what does he start to do? The kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out and sows wheat, and then his enemy drops in some weeds, and they will both grow up together. What the Jews are thinking is that the pagans are going to be destroyed, and that they're, well, did I already read this? Yeah, no. Well, they're, they're going to be destroyed, and they're going to only be the ones left. He, they thought this was going to happen quickly, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are going to grow up as my people, but the weeds, they're going to grow up with you. They're thinking that Jesus is going to call down legions of angels to destroy the empire, but that is not what he says at all. 
You know, I've heard so much lamenting, especially in the last few years, about how much more evil there is in the world. Um, but to be honest with you, that's to be expected, especially when you read a parable like this. The wheat and the weeds grow together. The same way our team must, must have, oh, sorry, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. The weeds and the wheat grow together. So as the weeds mature and the wheat mature, so does those that follow, right, the children of the kingdom, and so does so that, that follow the devil, the, kingdom, the, the children of the evil one. So as these two things mature, they're going to mature together. And so evil is going to become more prevalent in the world. But so should the kingdom. So should the kingdom. So the same way that our team has to trust that every phase of our communication is working properly, the church must place where their trust must be a place where trust and communicate work properly as well. If we're going to continue to thrive as wheat in a world full of weeds, we are going to have to communicate with one another. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Devotion is defined as deep love and loyalty. Are you devoting, are you devoting yourself to fellowship? Are there believers that you would say you have a deep love and loyalty for? In John chapter 13, Jesus serves the disciples by washing their feet, and then he predicts that one of them, Judas, will betray them. In the very next section, he says this, I have a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hebrews 10, 24 through 27 says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some have been made habit of, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury and fire will consume its adversaries. How can you do any of these things scriptures calls you to do if you're not communicating? If you're not, in a, if you're not devoting yourself to the fellowship of believers? There's a phrase that is often thrown around, that I often throw around, that says, no one knows that the house is on fire till it burns to the ground. That is because people spend way too much time putting on a facade in church rather than being truthful about where they are at. And so instead of, being, instead of flourishing, they're being consumed with sin and darkness. This should not be a thing in the church. If you want to know if you are devoted to fellowship, then ask this question. Are there people that know the darkest parts of me and how are they helping me get through that biblically? Are there people that know the darkest parts of me And how are they helping me get through that biblically? We cannot get through the rising darkness on our own. Struggling with an addiction, seek biblical counsel. Having work work or relationship issues, lean into other believers to help you get through that. Your marriage is in shambles? Well, get vulnerable and get some help. Here's the truth. Unless you drag what is in the darkness into light, it will keep on growing. It will get infected and it will possibly kill you, much like that. The, The weeds will. So are you doing life with fellow believers? Are there people that actually know you? Or are you just putting on a facade every time you walk into these doors? So alignment. Are you aligned with Jesus? If if I was going to ask you why you would go to heaven, how would you answer that? If it's anything but Jesus, you're misaligned and you got to get right. Communication. Are you doing life with fellow believers? Are there people that know the deepest, darkest parts of you? And how are they helping you get through that biblically? The last one is pursuit. When we coach on pursuit, what we mean 
is that all 11 helmets should be flying to the ball. When we turn on film after a game, every player should be going to where that ball is, is snapped to. Because the whole point is to stop that ball from moving forward. Whether that's through getting an interception, whether that's through gathering a fumble, or whether that's through making a tackle together. The defensive mission is to stop the ball and all have to participate for that to happen. And so what is our mission? This one's simple, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Church, it does not seem like we have too few of laborers. Are we in the harvest fields? Are we gathering up those that are ready to hear the word of God? And are we preaching the gospel? We are the harvesters in Matthew 9. Just like we ask players to fly around like cheetahs and make plays together, the church must be on mission every time we go out into the field. That every day when we are rubbing shoulders with the weeds, that we are constantly thinking of ways that we can be making disciples. Do you understand that this is not an optional mission? If you claim to be a Christian, this is not optional. Ty, if a player's not flying to the ball, will they play much? No, they have to fly to the ball. This is not an optional mission. This is a command from Jesus that anyone who claims to be a disciple must do. Can it be uncomfortable at times? Yes. Will you get some flack? Maybe. But those are just excuses. We have a mission to share the gospel and to make disciples, and it doesn't matter if you have been a believer for 10 seconds or 10 years. The mission does not change. This last week, I had the, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a couple of students. And this is just an illustration to show you that sometimes it ain't easy. But I got, I got partially way through it, and I felt this inside of me like, hey, you could cop out right here. You could just say, man, we got to know where our future is. You know what I mean? And I started to say that, and then all of a sudden, I felt the Spirit say, nope, <laughs> you need to talk about Jesus right now. And I did. And the best thing that I could have done is not shared that with you. But I want you to understand that even as someone who shares the gospel regularly, it is not easy to do it. But you have to do it. We tell our players this all the time. The only way to get better at anything is to practice. Sometimes it seems silly, but practice with another believer. Practice with another believer, right? Find someone that you trust. Hey, let's, let's go through this together. Record yourself sharing the gospel and then rewatch it. Okay, what did I do wrong? What did I not do well, right? Seek out help in the same way you would for another issue in this regard. You have, to, you have to practice sharing the gospel. And the more that you do it, the better you'll be at it. So if you wanna know if you're pursuing, simple, ask this question. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone? And if not, do you have the desire to? Because those two things are really important questions to ask. And I wanna clarify something, because I think this is super important to understand. Inviting people to church is not sharing the gospel. I gotta say, inviting people to church is not sharing. I love that you guys love this church and want people to come here and hear the word proclaimed, but you are ministers of the gospel as well. That is not just for me to do, that is not just for the people that you look up to to do, that is for you to do as well. Inviting people to the church is not sharing the gospel. 
And so have you shared the gospel with someone? And if not, do you desire to? Because if you don't, you need to get your alignment back. We gotta go back to alignment. You gotta get your alignment right. Now, now uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you now stand, and which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you of first importance. You want to know what the gospel is? This is what it is right here. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the message by which you stand, that is the message by which you received, and that is the message by which you are saved. That is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. So are you aligned with Jesus? Are you living life with fellow believers, and are you fulfilling his mission? As I wrap this up, there's one part of the story that I have not addressed. Some of you may be waiting for me to get there. And that is the warning. It's interesting because everybody that would have been listening to this would have thought that they were wheat. Chew on that a little bit. Let both grow until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out his kingdom, all the causes of sin, all the lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom, in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Guys, judgment's coming. I know we don't like to say that, but it's here. It's coming. The Jews wanted the judgment to come much earlier, but... Uh, and in fact, they expected it. I entitled this sermon, Vengeance is Mine, and that's out of Deuteronomy 32, uh, and it also can be found in the book of Romans and Hebrews. In, De in Deuteronomy, God is speaking to a stiff-necked, rebellious, idolatrous Israelites who rejected him and incurred his wrath with their wickedness. He promised, to avenge, he promised to avenge himself upon them in his own timing and according to his own perfect, pure motives. The two New Testament passages concern themselves with the behavior of a Christian, who is not to steal God's authority. Rather, we are to allow him to judge rightly and to pour out his divine retribution against his enemies as he sees fit. God's judgment is coming. Are you ready? More often than not, I think we go through life and we act as if this is far off. This passage is obviously talking about final judgment with, when Christ returns, and that could happen at any moment. In fact, the people that heard these words thought that it was going to come in their lifetime. And every Christian afterwards has thought the same. And so at any moment, those trumpets could sound and Christ could return. Are you ready? But here's the truth. This could also happen at any moment for any of us. At any moment, any one of us, could our entire world could be turned upside down, whether we're on a drive home, or whether we receive a phone call. I gotta be careful with this one. This last week I reminded about how, how, how sudden death can come. I was reminded that sin isn't just something that other people do to each other, but it's a byproduct that affects everybody in the world today, even through something like sickness. A 15-year-old boy A 15-year-old boy passed away this week. And there's, there's many in here that are shook by this, and they should be. 
Because this isn't how the world is supposed to operate. God's heart breaks when he sees stuff like this happen. But it also breaks when it sees people not understanding what their alignment is, and not, not living life with believers working through sin and not pursuing his mission. One commentator said it this way, for now our fate is in our own hands. The end of the soul's journey will either be in an eternal heaven or in an eternal hell. We must choose where we will be accepting or rejecting of the by, by we must choose where we will be by accepting or rejecting the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And we must make the choice before our physical lives on this earth come to an end. After death, there is no longer a choice, and our fate is to stand before the throne of God where everything will be naked before him. Romans 2 says, declare, Romans 2 declare, Romans 2 6 declares that God will give to each person according to what he has done. The good news is this that the Lord is slow, is, sl is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count as slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. My hope in bringing this reality to you is this. Are you ready? What is your alignment? If it's not Jesus, you're missing it. And I'm, I'm telling you that as clearly as I can right now. If your alignment is not with Jesus, if, if you go to, oh, I've done this, or I believe that, or I voted this way, or I've done, you are way off base. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Are you doing life with other believers? Do they know the darkest parts of you and are they helping you drag that into the light and kill it? Because sin has no place in our life. And lastly, are you pursuing his mission? Because the same truth that I'm proclaiming to you needs to be proclaimed to all of the people that are around you that are perishing right now. And so pursue, pursue his mission and be ready. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to uh, love and serve you. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, be with us as we leave here. Uh, Lord, there is just so much that we could, uh, man, continue to unpack and talk about. But uh, Lord, for the sake of keeping it simple, Lord, help us to align with you. Help us to pursue relationships with others that are real. Help us to communicate and trust. Help us to uh, pursue your mission because ultimately we want others to join join with us. Lords, are we wheat or are we weeds? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.